This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I'm fired up for today because we've got Zach Ross. He's the president of Cape Group. He's on the show today to talk about development, the market, opportunities in the market, just a far-reaching conversation. This is interesting for a couple of reasons in my mind. One, the state we're in right now, Cape Group built a lot of rental. Right. And in a rising interest rate environment, rental becomes more challenging. So so where are we at with that? They also, of course, are just monitoring the market. So where we're at in this softening, when is bottom? When do we take off from there? And then last, they're trying to build, or they were trying to build, and I don't wanna I don't wanna spoil it, uh, mass timber. Right. And they have sites at Quebec and Second, first in Scotia and Charles and Nanaimo. So they have some really interesting sites in Vancouver. And uh, he talks about the challenges to build and what needs to be done. So it's all around a great conversation. Yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation with Zach. I should say a couple of show notes before uh, housekeeping items before we get started here. One is we are actually recording this live in Kokomo Studios. Brady D, our producer, has set up the cameras so we actually now have video. The video is going to be available on YouTube. So you can check it out at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast on YouTube. The other thing I want to mention is that I really screwed up and I, I uh, you know, not super tech savvy. We've got a lot of equipment now in the studio. I forgot to push record on the video. So it's, uh, we're missing like the first 15 minutes that we did capture for the audio podcast but we didn't capture it on video. So if you are watching it, mistakes YouTube, are made. Uh, if you're watching it on YouTube you, you, and you want to hear that first 15 minutes, head over to Vancouver real estate podcast, wherever you get your uh, podcasts and uh, you can listen to Zach there. Fantastic. Well, maybe we should cut to our talk with Zach Ross from Cape group. This is a great conversation and I feel like we're in midsummer. There's nothing else going on. Let's uh, let's get to our talk with Zach. Yeah. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sonehouse, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sonehouse offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. 
Register today at marcon.ca slash sonhouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at marcon.ca or follow them at Instagram at marconhomes. Marcon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Zach Ross. He is the president of Cape Group. How you doing, Zach? Oh, doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for coming down to the studio, Zach. Uh, maybe can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Zach Ross. I'm uh, the third generation of the Cape Group of companies. Dad, two young boys, great wife. And, and kids are how old? I got four and uh, eighteen months. Actually, four yesterday. We had a nice, nice birthday party for him. Nice. So you're 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 busy at home. Yeah, pretty busy. Uh, just like you, you know, keep, keep, keeping it, you know, trying to keep as much hair as I can. Right. <laughs> We're all working on that right now. Yeah. So can you maybe tell us a little bit about Cape Group? Yeah, sure. So Cape Group uh, was started by my grandfather, Ralph Schwartzman, Prairie Boy, uh, was born in Saskatchewan, moved to uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba. Got smart, he likes to say. You know, he, he was out on a holiday and was driving down Oak Street when uh, uh, Van Dusen used to be Shaughnessy. And saw guys golfing in uh, December in shorts and short sleeve shirts. He said, what am I doing in Manitoba? So right. he packed up his stuff and came to Vancouver. That's and like the story of Adam and Matt. <laughs> I, well, we, Except we, not we're successful. From, yeah, we're from Winnipeg as well. <laughs> oh, but no, the, the, the thing oh, I, I, I consistently think about is how did our families end up there and why did they stay so long? Like that's the, well, they the always question. Say, you know, a lot of good people come from Winnipeg, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's a good place to yeah, be from. Yeah. And actually my, so my dad's side's actually from Winnipeg too. So I'm i I'm a half South end family, half North end family. So wow. uh, a, little, uh -oh. a little bit of a mix. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little bit of a mix. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so he came out here and started doing uh construction, you know, like what we were talking about before was that, uh, when he started, there was no such thing as a contractor or developer. You were sort of a, just a generalized builder. Um, and as things became more complicated, you know, it's gone down the path of construction managers and developers. Uh, so we've we've basically had to evolve into something more than just a builder. So we're we're a developer, a construction manager. Uh, we do that for ourselves and for other people, and we uh, do some property management as well. And so and so, your dad took over the business, uh, and in and in now. You're you're currently president. I'm just curious because often when it's a family business, uh, you know, the son often goes completely against the grain, uh, or or uh, decides to join the family business. Why? Like, why did you decide to stay in real estate? So it's actually funny. So it's actually not my dad. It's my mom. So it's your mom. Yeah, okay. it's my mom. So oh, my my grandfather's oh, daughter. Gender Risa. faux pas there. <laughs> no, 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 that's okay. <laughs> that, maybe that's why it works. I don't, you know. But uh, no, she uh, she's been involved basically since like we've all been in the business since we were kids. Like I mean, I've worked on sites you know, in, in in university. I, I, you know, in the summer, I'd go staple dimble board in the pouring rain down down twenty feet below grade. You know, so I've I've had that experience. She picked up nails on buildings and. Uh, you know, seventies, eighties. So we've all, you know, grown up in the business. My dad is not a businessman whatsoever; just a doctor. He calls himself a country doctor, you know, from Winnipeg. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and and we all kind of have a similar temperament, and we all sit around the table. Can you know, we might not all agree on everything, but we we can come to a common conclusion, and and it, it works. So um, yeah, it's been it's been pretty fun. And and can you talk a little bit about what Cape Group builds? Because as as we talked about before we went live, like. It sounds like uh, Cape Group's been involved in 
multifamily, industrial, like across the board, basically. Yeah, so we've been building uh, multifamily, industrial, commercial, hotels, uh, resort properties. We've basically built anything you can see other than like civil infrastructure projects. Uh, we've been involved with uh, three Ps. So uh, Ralph uh, did the uh, Silver City River Port, uh, Grizzlies Training Facility, Silver City, the movie theaters, the bowling alleys. So he's done that. He worked on the, and, and actually pioneered it with uh, Gary Cowell and a few other auto groups to bring everybody off of number three road in Richmond and create the first auto mall in Canada. And now it's the, uh, the way people build car dealerships now is in an auto mall format. So that was pretty, um, pretty cool that he was a part of that. And yeah, we've just been, been quietly building residential, whether it's, we do mostly rental, but we do condo as well. So then, and, and typically Western Canada, but we've just made our first foray into Toronto, which is uh, pretty exciting. And and is it going to be rental in a part in Toronto as well? So Toronto is a condo project that was okay. brought, that one was brought to us as a condo and it, it's making more sense to just look at it that way for our first project, but we're actively looking for some rental projects in, in Toronto as well. Interesting. So I'm just kind of thinking right now we're in an interesting time in the market. Obviously interest rates have increased. Vancouver, the market has, has slowed quite a bit. Toronto, the market has slowed. How how has the market and has uh, the current state of the market changed any any strategy uh, for Cape Group? Yeah, it's been a very interesting time for sure. I think the biggest thing is that people are going to start seeing projects go on pause, uh, which obviously is going to have a, a huge impact on supply and demand. I mean, anybody who you know is involved in real estate or any industry knows how supply and demand affect the market. Uh, so I think we're going to see, uh, unfortunately, rental rates rise because people aren't going to necessarily be able to afford homes based on what they're costing to build. Uh, the costs have, have gone up 20, 30%, as you guys have seen in, in the news. So it's, it's going to be a very interesting time to see uh, what happens. It, it, it's very tough to forecast, especially when the Bank of Canada is, making, is acting differently than they've said in the past, where they said they were going to keep rates you know, super low for a long time. Right. We're not going to raise interest rates. Uh, I think that was a mistake. By him to say that he he should have said something more along the lines of we will raise rates if we have to, but at this time we're not intending to. I think people made decisions based on that that statement. Uh, so yeah, it's, I think there's a lot and, of and for listeners, right? Them. That was back. I can't remember exactly when when that statement was made, but it was basically rates are going to be super low till 2023. I think was yeah. And the comment is rates are still super low, but on a percentage basis, they're up huge, right? Right. So, yeah. You know, people have talked to me about, oh, you know, I remember when rates were 20% or like 12% or whatever it was. But, you know, I asked them, well, what did you pay for your first home? Oh, you know, about 300000 And what, what what kind of home was that? Oh, it was a 50-foot lot and a, on 127, <laughs> uh, 50 by 127. And it was uh, 5,000 square feet with six bedrooms. You're like, okay, well, you know, if you want that, to, it's going to be, what, guys, like three, four, five million yeah, bucks yeah, a day. Yeah. yeah. So. A little different time. So what we've been hearing uh, on the podcast with uh, developers, a lot of developers we've talked to, is that for a short period of time, based on policy, but also interest rates, rental became really attractive over the last couple of years, and now it's less so. Is that, is that what you're seeing in, in, in terms of actually building and owning? Well, a few years ago, the uh, the market took a bit of a correction, as you guys know, probably 10, 15%-ish. And at that time, rates were super low and there was a lot of attractive financing options for rental housing from CMHC and BC Housing. Uh, so a lot of developers, including ourselves, actually took condo projects and converted them to rentals. And you know, typically a condo project is easier to build from a financial perspective with respect to capitalization of that project because it 
typically requires a little less upfront capital. So yeah, th- there was these financing programs that were available and you were able to you know, proceed through the construction and development process as, as a typical condo. You know, construction costs started to rise and interest rates start to rise. The, the performance starts to look a lot more difficult and you need a ton of money to actually get these things built. And as you know, unfortunately, without the money, you can't build them. So you end up against a brick wall and saying, okay, well, how are we going to fund these things to actually get built and bring housing onto the market? And, you know, if you want to create affordability, like you, you just need more units. I think there was an article that Peter uh, did from in uh, Bib that says we need 750,000 new homes in BC here in the next, uh, was it, like seven years. So I, th- I think that's going to be our, our best solution moving forward is we just need to build more homes. There's more people, more people coming here. Um, the costs are going to come down a little bit, but they're not going to come down significantly enough to make a huge impact on affordability. Right. But, and so what in your mind do we have to, why aren't we building those homes and, and what do we have to do in order to, to kind of ramp up? So this is a bit of an interesting subject because it's not just a Vancouver issue. It is an issue throughout North America. The time it takes to actually from buying a, pro- a piece of property to actually delivering homes can be anywhere between three to seven to 10 years, depending on the scale of it. So that is the biggest issue right now is some people get through five project cycles in their entire career based on the size of the projects they're working on. So we need to try and find a way to get housing onto the market faster, whether it's through permitting timelines or pre-manufacturing to try and speed up the construction process. Uh, there's a few different things that we can look at, but it's going to it's gonna take everybody and all the stakeholders coming to the table and agreeing that, hey, we have a problem. We need to come together and find solutions that'll work. There's no real one silver, bullet. silver bullet that says, hey, like you're, you guys are the, the sticking point, but everyone's sort of playing their little piece in, in causing a problem that we need to try and resolve. Right. I like to think it's the realtors, but I, I <laughs> so if, if, uh, if we're thinking about like just the challenges that exist uh, with building in the city of Vancouver, and I know I know uh, you have a good relationship with the city and you've worked with the city for a long time, so I'm not suggesting that there's a lot of reasons we should fault the city, but what are some of the challenges to just to get housing to market? With respect to the city permitting the process? The whole or, process, or just building? yeah. So maybe I'll walk you through how like someone like us would go from start to finish and yeah, we can sure. go from there so you guys can ask some questions. So basically what we have to do is we have to, you know, look at policy that the city puts out and say, okay, where can we fit in? What properties do we need to kind of put together here to say, okay, this is a viable development site that we can put anywhere between, you know, 75 to 150 homes. Because that's the typical Vancouver development site, unless you're getting into the tower space, which we're, which we're doing. So now we have to get four or five willing homeowners to vend their property into a, to a developer. So that's step one. After that, then we have to apply to the city with a, a set of plans that we've developed. And, you know, that could take anywhere between two, three months to get an initial concept together, make the application to the city, and then they come back with feedback. So then there's some negotiation back and forth. And then, you know, you go through whether the, it's the rezoning or the development permit process. Sometimes it's both. And then we have to design it for building. So then you take the concept and you actually have to make the guts and, and design it so that it can actually be constructed. And then it takes anywhere between, you know, 18 to 24 months, depending on the size of the project, sometimes much greater, depending on, you know, if it's a 40-story tower, it's obviously going to take, you know, 36 to, to 40 months to do. So you can see construction is a big part of it. That is a significant portion of the schedule. 
but it can take just as long to get all the way to the point of actually getting to construction. And so those are the challenges that we have to try and, you know, shrink schedule. Money costs money. So when you're when you're borrowing money to build these buildings, that that has a cost with, you know, interest rates. And in that time, also, you know, think about what's happened in the last one year alone. So how does the market change throughout a five-year development? So from the time that you've started to the time that you're actually building and getting close to completion, you might live in a completely different world, which we do today from where we did five years ago. Right, right. Or even five months ago. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You know, I'm just curious. There's a couple of things there. Um, one is, can you talk a little bit about how you find deals, what a deal looks like, what areas you're excited about? Yeah, so basically we've got a network of people that uh, we speak to on, on a regular basis with respect to projects, whether it's real estate agents or mortgage brokers or whoever it might be that homeowners who have sites that are interested in redeveloping. We do a lot of partnerships as well. We'll partner with people who have property who need assistance in developing or or, or constructing. So it's typically a lot of that negotiation or or just discussion off market. We don't typically do too much on on the market stuff because it it it's usually fairly picked over. Mm-hmm. Um, we have. It's just not our sort of go-to. We're really uh, interested in Vancouver. Obviously, it's a very important market to us. It's our home. It's where we live. And so, and sorry, when you say, are you talking Metro Vancouver or specifically the city of Vancouver? Uh, Metro Vancouver. Yeah, we're, we're looking all the way, you know, all the way out to Abbotsford. We, we sort of keep a, a pulse on everything at, at, at a time. And, and then we're also interested in, in Alberta. Uh, we have some property in Edmonton. Nothing, we haven't done anything in Calgary, but it's it's not because uh, we haven't wanted to. It's just we haven't taken the time to to set focus there. We have a couple big projects in Edmonton, uh, specifically St. Albert, and then uh, obviously Toronto. Uh, those are our three sort of markets in in Canada. And then just recently, we've started to look at at the United States as well as an option for for rental, uh, residential rental, because we know there's a, a housing need down there as well. And do you have a market in the U.S. that you're excited about? Yeah, there's a few that we're looking at. We're we're, we're interested in Seattle, Portland, uh, Boise, actually, um, Austin, Texas, and Nashville are kind of where we're focusing. A little bit L.A., San Diego area as well. But yeah, that's not sort of up the high priority. Something that's kind of close, but then also we're very interested in tech hubs and and areas that have good employment and growth. So then hence the reason for Austin and, and Nashville. And in just thinking about and is the model then to retain all the all the rental stock then yeah so we do merchant development but that's not our preference like most of the rental that we will do is for the purpose of building and holding and being a landlord and providing housing to people um long term so some properties like i was mentioning before built in the 70s like we still own we actually have had three generations of uh a family living in the building right now one of them which is cool yeah I'm just trying to figure out like a day in the life of uh, Zach Ross look like if you're like monitoring markets, managing projects, overseeing everything, like what, what does your day to day look like? So day to day typically starts with uh, breakfast with the kids, which is always fun. It keeps <laughs> me grounded, you know, maybe a little egg sandwich or uh, avocado toast, something like that. <laughs> You know, it changes. Sometimes mac and cheese, we try to avoid that, but, uh, you know, he's going to have it one, one meal a day. Who cares if it's breakfast? <laughs> uh, so I'll do that. And then, uh, typically go to the gym. Actually, I've been going to the gym three days a week for the last year, which has been super helpful from, you know, clearing the mind. So my buddy, Alan has a great gym, uh, yard athletics. I don't know if anybody knows that one, but I've been going there for a year, working out with a guy named Matt. Uh, it's keeping me focused, uh, you know, helping me manage the stress of the last year. Right. Um, so been doing that and then I'll bug over to the office and sit down with the team, talk about what's going on. We're constantly 
reviewing the news and what's going on in the market, work with the team. So, you know, some days will be more development focused. Some days will be more construction management focused for me, depending on what uh, what's required from from me. Risa, my mom, she manages more of the, like uh, the real estate portfolio for us. And so, uh, and I kind of steer more towards the operational side of development and, and construction. But between Risa and I, we sort of oversee the overall general vision and mission of the development construction uh, group. Uh, we also have a great team. Uh, couldn't do it without them. You know, they help us make sure that we're getting concise information, can make decisions, move forward. Yeah, like if I didn't have the great team at Cape, like it would be really hard to do, to manage sort of what I have to look over in a day, for sure. Right. So you, you mentioned the market and reviewing kind of what's what's going on. I'm just wondering, uh, and usually we save this for the end, but length of downturn. So we've really softened here in the last four to six months. Uh, and I know you have a bunch of projects in the pipeline here. Like how, how, how do you see the next six months to three years playing out? I think there's going to be a pause for the next six to 12 months with respect to projects that had performers that worked that no longer do. That's a bit of a speculation, but I know that for a fact, there's at least 77 projects that are on hold. That was a number given to me by a, a pretty trusted source uh, about a week ago. We're seeing excavating companies call for work, which just would not happen right. six <laughs> months ago, right. a year ago. Like it's just not. I was talking to another friend who runs a pretty large construction management firm in the interior this morning. And he was saying the same thing. He's like, yeah, like I, I got calls from excavators too. And painters, it's like, it's, you know, it's, it's the first indicator that things are on pause because though these excavating companies that are not no longer having more work to go, like this means projects are being put on pause. So I think they're the first ones to see the the pause. Most of the trades don't necessarily know that pauses are coming yet because maybe companies are trying to figure out whether or not projects are still viable or whether they should wait or what they should do. So I think in the next six months, you'll, they'll start to see some softening in the construction pricing. I also think there's probably going to be one or two interest rate hikes, but then they're going to have to bring it back down. That's sort of the common consensus in the industry through uh, the development community and then the banking community as well. So I think we're in for probably 12 to 18 months of sort of let's see what's going to happen. I think we're beyond the initial shock. Like when the first, it, like the one point interest rate hike came in, I think everybody was pricing in future and and it was just, people were scared, right? So uh, I think we're beyond that. People have some, it feels some more stability in what's going on. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys are seeing the same thing what you guys are. That, that's almost about. exactly like we, I think literally Last week, we're saying it feels like the dust is kind of settling a yeah. little bit. The shock even, and awe moment. Yeah, yeah. even yeah. In, the, in, in the residential market, like people are kind of took a step back or like, okay, I'm getting back in the market. Maybe they're waiting for Labor Day, but it does feel like that shock and awe moment is is kind of past. And yeah, it'll it, be interesting to see what the bank does in September, but I still <laughs> think everybody, unless it's something dramatic. Another shocker, who knows? I yeah, mean, like, yeah. yeah. But I, I think the the biggest thing for, you know, the longtime homeowner in Vancouver is they've got so much equity in their homes that they're not going to, you know, if they don't have to go somewhere, they're not going to sell. Like if you bought your house, you're talking about, you know, someone who bought their house for 300,000 30 years ago and it's worth 5 million bucks now. So, so what if it's worth four? Like they're, yeah. they don't, they're not forced to sell. So I think people that have gotten into the market a little bit more recently might have a bit more of a challenge, but if they've got the staying power to get into, you know, three, $4 million home, I don't think people are going to be walking from, they have to have 20% in at least, right? So right. I don't think people want to walk from that kind of equity. 
I think I think that's bang on. And I think the the other thing is like right now for people that are monitoring, say, detached in Vancouver, the inventory has been so low and the quality, the, the type of inventory that's been coming to market suggests that people are just staying put if they don't have to sell, right? Well, it's so the it's, same thing with like when they say, oh, housing sales are down 30% year over year or month over month or whatever. Yeah. And I, that doesn't mean anything to me because who cares if you sold 8,000 homes last month versus 6,000 homes? What's the price? What people are just staying put? Like just because there's not transaction doesn't mean that the market isn't a little frothy or or whatnot, right? So you, Yeah, and, and it does just thinking about that. I mean, the inventory has been so lackluster that it just feels like the summer has just been stagnant almost because like I've been out shopping with a couple of buyers and it's, it's just hard to find something that's good. It's like, it's like buying a winter jacket in the middle of the summer. Yeah. That's what it's like right now. Right. And, and it's, it's interesting because I mean, a lot of people, especially if you're working with end users right now is, is you, it's often nice to go shopping in busier markets where there's some supply. I know it's competitive, but really if you're looking for a house, that's going to be the next, you know, five, 10 years of your life. You don't want to settle on something just because inventory is so low, right? Yeah. yeah. And you get stuck and then you're like, oh, I should have, you know, maybe I could have gotten to that next home or whatever. And, you know, right. it was extra 100 or 200,000 at the time. I couldn't stretch. But now I'm in this, you know, house that I'm happy with, but I'm not necessarily like, it's not my long term or forever home. And there's costs to trade up. Yeah. Big time. <laughs> yeah. So if I understand we're, we're, we're thinking, Zach, kind of 12 to 18 months, if we, if we're, Maybe I'll put it this way, and I know this is maybe not the way you generally think about it, but but in terms of kind of bottoming out and and uh, and the market kind of picking back up, do you see that? Is that twelve to eighteen months? What what are your thoughts? I think that's probably a good guesstimate at this point. It, you know, it'll depend on what happens. I think it's in two weeks or something that next rate right. announcement, and I think it's they're saying fifty base points or twenty five base points or something, but you never know what they're going to do. So I think let's let's see what they do there, and that'll be an indication of what the Bank of Canada thinks. But there is the issue of like the project restarts as well, right? So let's say everything gets put on pause, and then all of a sudden everybody's ready to go. That's going to also cause an issue in, in in the market because of the absolute rush to the finish line now, right? So what we're trying to do is with our projects make sure that we're fully aligned and ready to go, so that when it's time to go. We can we can get on it and start building. Has Cape uh, has Cape Group actually put projects on pause right now as well? Or so one project specifically is on uh, second in Quebec. It was uh, the former Lord Co. Uh, we actually have a, a two story or one story uh, hole in the ground right now. So we were about to um, pour our foundation or sorry form our foundation on the Monday and on the Thursday before the broad draft Broadway plan came out and our site was designated for seven FSR. Uh, it's right. It's a block away from the great Northern way transit station. Uh, so for that product specifically, it was zoned for increased density. So we said, okay, let's pause and wait what happens. It's obviously been approved now. So that project's in the process of being redesigned for uh, additional housing. So just for people that don't know FSR and it, so in other words, you, you had a, you had a design in place and then your, you, the best use of your zoning went up dramatically. Yeah. So essentially what that site was, was a three FSR, uh, FSR stands for four space ratio. There's a few different acronyms, FAR, FSI. They're all the same thing. You basically take uh, the floor space of the site. So if you have a 10,000 square foot site, you times it by this multiplier and that tells you how much building you can build. It's a little bit more complicated than that. There's some inclusions, et cetera. But the generalized idea is that you take that multiplier, you get a, you know, three would equate to a 30,000 square foot building. Right. 
So we were at three or 3.2 or something like that. And I think, uh, so we've gone to seven now. We have to do a rezoning. So that's going to be 18 months. So yeah, we'll see. I mean, our, our, and our intent is to do rental and we're trying to, you know, artist fo- focused. The, the original building was artist focused. It's in the artist area of, of town, right? So that, that, that one's on pause because of that. The other one was on sec is, is on first in Scotia. So just across the street on the North side, across from uh, red truck brewery, it's a 10 story. It was going to be mass timber. Unfortunately, now we've had to convert it to uh, concrete just based on a few of the design related issues that were sort of prescribed to us. It's no longer feasible to, to construct it through mass timber. And that one's just, you know, we're working on stuff with the city and, and just with the ownership group to decide how we want to structure the building, unit count, unit sizes, uh, et cetera. So that one's, it's not on pause, but it's more on like, uh, we're just sort of figuring out a few little details before we move forward on, on construction. Right. Um, so we're, we expect to be in construction sometime at the end of this year, maybe early next year on that one. And then we have another project on, uh, Charles and Anaimo. Again, it's like 75 unit, uh, rental building actually. And it's, it's been permitting for five years. Wow. Yeah. So a, a couple of things to probably unpack there, but permitting one, for five years. <laughs> Sorry, just, yeah. Just, yeah. Just, just, uh, can we start with Charles <laughs> and then yeah, Sure. That's so, right by my house. I yeah, just okay, drive so, by that site all okay, the time. Okay, so yeah. So it's across from Columbus Meats, right? Yeah. Um, so when we when we purchased that site, it was four, it's four single family houses and it was bought on the basis of the Grandview Woodlands plan. Right. right. So the Grandview Woodlands plan says, you know, you can so um, do your listeners know about like the yeah. plans? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. we were designated for 3.2 FSR, six stories, right? It's a commercial node. So this is where they want sort of activity to happen. So we went in for rezoning, asking basically for the plan. We weren't pushing the envelope. We were asking because we were trying to create more. Like our whole premise for this one was, you know, it's a community of families, longtime neighborhood. We wanted to build family units. We wanted to create sociability. Just because you live in a condo doesn't mean you don't want to interact with your neighbor like you would in a single family home or sure. a townhouse, right? So we were trying to create like a central courtyard. So we had this design that protruded the typical C2 zoning, I guess you'd call it like a uh, gray space, right? So the typical zoning would require you to step back as you get higher up. So if you look at buildings that are six stories and above, you typically see a building that goes up and then on the top floors, they go back, right? So our building was more of like a centralized courtyard. So it was a, it was a taller it was six story. The height was was as required, but didn't have those setbacks. So that was our only ask uh, to promote sociability. And uh, yeah, so it, it took a long time. We failed the first UDP. Some of the d- the design team didn't like the concept that it went through the C two zoning magic line. I don't even know what they call it. Um, <laughs> the invisible line. It's red on the paper. Uh, so we had to go back to UDP. And originally, it was it was designed as a condo. And in that eight months between our first UDP and our second UDP, and sorry, UDP for sorry, uh, urban design panel. So what urban design panel is? It's a, it's basically a panel of peers. So there's architects, uh, landscape architects, developers, uh, engineers, and uh, you present to the UDP the panel, and they comment on it for council and staff to take the feedback of the community and and the industry. So. and and the way they go as any community, you know, as soon as one person goes down a path, everybody likes to jump on the train, right? So, you know, one landscape architect, I think it was, was sort of not happy with the C2 zoning. And then everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, that that actually caused us a nine, eight month delay 
And then in that time, the, that was when the market took that 20% dip in the condos. And so we said to the, the ownership group, we said, you know, I think this would actually work pretty well as a rental site. So why don't we look at it like that? So we did that. And uh, so we rezoned it as a rental after, you know, we got through the UDP. And so uh, then we rezoned as a rental and then we did the development permit and uh, we're still sitting here. I think we have our prior to now, but we're just working through it. And so the project has to be viable, obviously, like financially and, and with construction costs rising. Like, I mean, we're, like I said, five years ago is a different world than it is today, yeah, right? right? So the project metrics have changed. And so we're trying to just work on how to make the project viable from, a, you know, get it, get it going, get it finished. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join typing in VRP 2020. The city of Vancouver seems to be, so we're in desperate need of rental stock. That seems clear, right? And, and with people pausing right now, a lot of projects stalled, presumably in the next three to five years, we're going to be nowhere near meeting our goals for, for new rental stock, um, one would think. Is the city doing enough to encourage or incentivize rental stock? I think they're trying. Like, I think they have programs that are trying uh, and they're trying to promote affordability through Rental 100 and MERP programs and things like that. But it, it it still doesn't help the issue of bringing these units onto the market in the speed that they need to. In the end of the day, like, I don't think any developer is asking for handouts. They're not, we're not asking for things for free. I think we're just asking for a clear path forward and the path of least resistance to bring these units onto the market. So just as an example with this Charles one, so it's zoned as a rental um, and it's actually a viable as a condo based on the numbers with what's going on in the market with construction and sales. We could do it as a condo, which most people would end up buying them and renting them to end users. So yeah. still bringing units onto the market would most likely end up being investors that would rent them out. 
But unfortunately, in order to do that right now, I have to go through a rezoning. And the city actually wants to uh, charge a, a fairly large CAC or community immunity contribution, which is basically a tax, I guess, if you want to call it that, sure. um, for increased density. So, you know, when people look at a $1,200 per square foot condo, you know, those are made up of all these different costs and fees. And the CAC is one that I think the city was anticipating that it would bring land values down, but it's actually, I think, just increased cost because in the end of the day, that cost has to be transferred to the end right, user. Right, right. So whether that's a reduction of land cost or an increase in sale price, it's one or the other. Um, so yeah, like again, we have a path forward to say we can bring these 75 units to the market, but then now we have to do a two-year or 18-month or two-year rezoning. And so, so if I understand over the five years, it was strata? then shifted to rental and now you potentially are shifting back to strata? No, I don't think we'll shift back. It's too complicated to do that. We, like It's two years yeah. before it could even start. Yeah. What we're trying to do is just bring homes onto the market. And right? does that, so. just a, just thinking about if you're building strata versus rental, does that, does that change design? Does that change end product in any way for you or, or is it just... Yeah, you know. not not for us. I mean, the the biggest thing for us is that whether it's a rental or a condo, there should be no differentiation on the end user's experience. So right. just because you live in a rental unit or whether the condo has been sold to an end user or an investor, we want our product to be the same. You might have a little different finish in like the type of countertop or or hardware that's in the unit, but essentially like the layouts and the amenities that, that the projects can you know afford should be or will be pretty much the same for us. So the the big savings in bringing rental into the market is there's a DCL waiver. So development cost waiver uh, can be significant. So the city does provide that. Uh, there's some tax incentives with respect to GST rebates, depending on unit sizes and unit values. And then there's obviously a fi- uh, financing packages through CMHC and BC Housing, which help bring costs down of, of money to actually build the rental buildings, which are not available if you're doing it as a, as a condo. Can we talk a little bit about mass timber? So we've talked about uh, mass timber on this program and, and you know, the fact that obviously carbon capture and, and just how excited people are about this way of building. And obviously uh, Cape Group has had an interest in it. Can you talk a little bit about the challenges of, of bringing mass timber to market or, or even just developing with mass timber? Yeah, absolutely. Mass timber is an amazing product. Uh, but unfortunately for mass timber, you have to start from the very beginning with the intent of going to mass timber. It's very hard to shift gears from a specific project to go into mass timber. Uh, and people, I think, get the misnomer that mass timber is, is wood construction, which it is, but it's not wood frame construction. So heavy timber actually has a char rate comparable to uh, concrete. And so they're actually classified as non-combustible buildings. Now, there's a question whether or not who agrees with that, whether the code says that or what, you know, it's been proven that the char rates actually last significantly longer. So I think there's a few things that uh, the end users are are being educated on now. So the one challenge was, you know, can you, if you build this building, will people live in it? That was step one. Uh, and I think Brock Commons proved that people have actually, there's been studies done that show that people are actually happier living in these mass timber buildings just based on the the feeling that they get living in a wood building and and just the product. Uh, the other challenges you get is that the design of mass timber buildings has to be very boxy or stacked, like we, we like to call it. So it doesn't need to be a square or rectangle. It can have some shape, but everything has to be stacked from from the ground floor all the way to the to the roof. 
And then the other interesting advantage of mass timber is the speed of construction. So the way that we were approaching mass timber was through pre-manufacturing. So we were trying to build as many of the components off-site in factories and shipping them to site through a logistics network that would allow us to assemble them to decrease the disruption to the you know, neighborhood and reduce the amount of dust so that there wasn't as much sawing, cutting uh, on site, so noise pollution, et cetera. So it's to, supposed to be so you can get in and get out, have people working in you know, nice climate controlled factories, nice working experience. And so you kind of need to get all those things lined up together in order to make it, make it work. And if one leg falls off the chair, it kind of, the chair wants to tumble down. Yeah. (laughs) And and so if, if I understand it's, it's a, so when we were talking about getting houses to market, uh, pre-manufacturing is a huge component that you can have everything kind of lined up and shipped to the site and it's quicker. And it's better for the environment and people prefer to live in mass timber. So yeah. it seems like there's a lot of winning kind of components. Uh, yeah. Here. And not only that, but something that isn't talked about is like end of life cycle for buildings. So, you know, now if you're not, well, not so much now, but maybe 10 years ago, if you wanted to knock a building down, you'd bring a big wrecking ball, you'd knock it down or you blow it up, right? Moving forward, buildings are need to be de- deconstructed. So these buildings are actually assembled through nuts and bolts. So to actually disassemble this building is quite easy. And then you could reuse the components, whether it's for other buildings or for, you know, whatever you might need. These are components that can be reused. So the life cycle assessment of these buildings are actually significantly more sustainable than a concrete building. What about the life cycle of, of uh, mass timber versus concrete? Is it, is it comparable? Like the, uh, how long mass timber lasts? I don't know if there's any buildings that have been to uh, end of life cycle for mass right. timber. So I don't, you know, I'm not an expert in, in that to say, but I would assume that they'd be comparable or close to it. And sound transfer? Just for people that have always kind of wanted concrete instead of wood frame? So sound transfers actually, depending on the SDC rating that you will design to, can be comparable to concrete. It's the impact. So there's an impact rating and a sound transmission rating. So sound's okay. Impact is a little bit increased from concrete, but we have ways that, that you can... Uh, dampen that. So it just depends on, you know, again, it's, it's just a cost, right? Like if you can add these impact resistant um, components to help reduce and spread that impact throughout the building rather than in a point. And, and so you were, if I understand the plan was potentially to do mass timber at Scotian first. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And, and it was how many units and how large uh, of a, I think it was about 103 or 104 units. It was t- nine, nine stories single level of park, uh, concrete parkade below, which have daycare and some retail space at grade and then the units above. And so unfortunately- That, that, that neighborhood's going to be pretty- uh, That's bumping. It's, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, right across whole, from Red Truck with retail. That's kind of a- Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I'm getting texts from friends being like, hey, like I heard there's a daycare going there, you know, like, you think you help get a spot or, or it's like- yeah, we'll help out. But, I, you know, it's people are talking about it. That whole area is getting redeveloped right now. And, you know, my grandfather is funny. He's 91. He comes to the office pretty much every day, which is pretty cool. And he sits <laughs> there and he looks out at Second Avenue. He goes, oh, my God, like, you wouldn't believe what this looked like before. Yeah, like, yeah, right. You know, like when I moved here, this is a completely different neighborhood. Like Second's Highway, basically, yeah. right? Like the amount yeah. of traffic's going on. So he, He's got all the stigmas of uh, the Vancouver of yesterday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, and I guess the the tragedy of this whole conversation is this question: You're not doing mass timber there anymore. No, unfortunately not. Um, 
What happened? In the state that it is. Well, I mean, firstly, one of the biggest things that happened in the last, I guess, six months to a year is that the price of wood actually went from five, on average, like a 10 year average is about 450, 500 bucks per thousand board feet up to 1500. And then it's actually come back down uh, to 500 when everybody else is saying there's no way it's going to go to 800. So the volatility in the wood market in the last year has been quite challenging for a mass timber building, obviously. And then the increase in cost just generalized over the industry has, has see, the, the big thing about mass timber was that it, it costs a little bit more than concrete, but you saved it in the schedule. So it netted out to be about right. the same. And again, it was more about being that stacked building. And unfortunately, based on some of the, the setback requirements the city was asking us to, to provide at the upper units, it was creating an inefficient design for mass timber. So it was increasing the cost even that much further. So we had to then look at it and say, well, you know, as much as we want to do mass timber, like the, the cost premium to do this, like at this point, 25, 30% versus concrete, let alone schedule savings. And then we had the issue with the bike lane that was coming off a second while they're doing the Great Northern Way subway stop there. We we're going to have a logistics problem because these panels that are coming in, were going to be like, I think they were like 12 feet wide by like 30 feet, or 40 feet long. And if we can't have trucks access the site, how can we get our panels in to fly them in? So we started looking like our schedule will probably be compromised. The, the premium to do this has gone up. You know, there's going to be other buildings. Maybe we just do another one as mass timber and move this one forward as concrete. I'm just thinking about how, and we've talked about this a lot on the show, but just how quickly building is changing. And a lot of it is to do with just more progressive building uh, schemes related to the environment. And, and um, you know, you think about like envelope first construction, you think of mass timber, all the things that are changing. Is the city keeping up with their bylaws and their guidelines? Well, they're actually trying to push the envelope, I think, from where, where we are uh, technologically. In order to make a project viable, like I've, I've said here a couple of times, like the cost needs to be in line with the value because otherwise you just can't build something that's going to cost you more than it's going to cost to dispose of it. Uh, no bank will give money to do that. Right. So unfortunately what's happening is like there's being requirements being put on developers to provide certain efficiencies and the products to do that are significantly more expensive. So until we can get additional technology in the industry, that'll help us uh, promote ESG uh, building uh, it's going to be a challenge. I think we're going to step code four by 2035 and then passive house after that, you know, it's going to be a challenge to, to do that, but people are trying and we're, we're working on it and looking at products from all over the world right now to try and see if we can do it. Like for example, on, uh, the Raphael building, we had product coming from Italy for the specific drywall product to help with our, uh, STC ratings and our, our thermal transfers. So it's like, you know, you're not going to get everything you can locally here, which is also counterintuitive with respect to lead guidelines because, right. you know, I have some some thoughts on lead, but, you know, you want to try and buy a product as close as you can to your building because of the emissions of getting the product there, sure. right? So <laughs> it's like, yes, we're trying to be, you know, environmental, but if the products are coming from, you It'll know, Europe, or, right? yeah. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> it doesn't really... Uh, <laughs> And what about the, can we just talk a little bit about the setbacks? Because it sounds like, so the cost involved, the volatility of the of wood over the last couple of years is, is one component. And it sounds like there's, you know, logistics and, and a bunch of others. But the setbacks to me seems an interesting one because basically that leads to a design. It's impossible or very costly to to change that design to where it would work with with mass timber, if I understand. Yeah, and, and don't quote me on this, but I, I think what we're talking about is a matter of feet. 
like not wow. not 20 like i think we're talking we were asking for a certain distance and i think it was a couple like two three four feet difference and this is tower separation so separ- city has guidelines with, with respect to how far towers can be apart from each other and um yeah we were encroaching on that a little bit at that certain elevation and that that was basically it yeah that's stuff yeah, i mean and these are the things like people don't you know hear about this too much in the in the you know local market or community right so these are the challenges that that are faced like we could have been probably building right now if this if we were going back and forth on this discussion right so that's obviously one of the things that causes projects to get delayed but it's not the only thing right like it's it's one piece of the puzzle and and what i really want people to understand is that development is not easy like it's not like hey guy with with uh, a, a money goes and, and buys a piece of property and puts up a building and makes a billion dollars. It's, it's right. not like that. Like there's so many steps. There's 20 consultants involved now with respect to like architecture, structural engineering, mechanical, acoustics, uh, environment, uh, landscaping, traffic, code. Like there's there's a whole list of consultants before you can even get, you know, to the city. And then the city has to be okay with your plans. And then you got to find, you know, the products that you're specking for your building. And then you got, you know, so this. There's so many layers to this that it, it it's not easy. And so, you know, like I said, one little piece kind of falls out and it it, it has a ripple effect. Uh, so like we say in development, like something's going to go wrong and then it's like, what do you do about it? How do you, how do you resolve that to try and keep the, you know, the army marching forward towards the end goal of completing housing units? You know, maybe shifting gears a little bit, um, it sounds like you're, you're active or becoming active in Toronto. Uh, and obviously Vancouver and, and Alberta, Edmonton, it sounds like at this stage. I'm just wondering for, for you know, we have a lot of mom and pop investors uh, who listen to the show. If you could own a piece of property in any one of those cities, which one would you choose? Okay, I'm going to expand that a little bit. Okay. I'm going to say if I was in Vancouver and I would own a condo, if I had enough money to buy, uh, like if I had, let's say, enough money to buy like something with worth $3 million, I'd either buy a condo or a small apartment building. You probably with three million bucks, you could probably find a small like four unit fourplex, something like that. So anything with passive income in Vancouver that will appreciate over time, I think that's absolutely a, a win. Uh, Alberta, Edmonton, go buy yourself or go find yourself an industrial building. Industrial rates there are are you know seventy five percent of what they are here in Vancouver, right. but the cost is like a tenth of the price to get Edmonton, into. Edmonton, it's insane how affordable industrial is. Yeah, but the rates right now, you're going to get 12 to 13 bucks a foot net, right? So it doesn't necessarily cost you anything. If you can get yourself a triple net lease, go go get yourself an industrial building, get in and, you know, there's great tenants there that, you know, we've had an industrial building, we've had the same tenant there for 30 years or whatever, right? So a right. you know, strong uh, distribution center, supporting the oil and gas, um, technology, the the university, so that's great. Uh, in Toronto, I'm still learning the market there a little bit. I'm not as familiar with sort of the entire scope of the pro- of the um, asset classes there, but I don't think you can go wrong with a, with a condo unit there as well. Um, sooner rather than later, I think it's going to get more expensive. The amount of costs that are being thrown in to developments by either the province, the city, or whoever it is, is significantly increasing. So that, again, that cost has to be passed along to the to the end users. So if those costs are going up, like if you get, if you're able to get into a condo now for 1400 bucks and they're adding $300 worth of like development charges and stuff like that, well, you know, that's just going to cause other projects to have to sell for more, which will just bring your project, your condo value up. And if it's the, on the secondary market. So I'd, I'd say a condo would be, would be really, 
really smart uh, decision in Toronto as well for an investment. So Zach, we have this segment called the Five Wire, Five Lighthearted Questions to end the show. Can you stick around for that? Absolutely, guys. Okay, awesome. The Five Wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. Okay, so question number one is, what is one book that you'd recommend for our listeners? So I haven't done too much reading the last uh, couple of years, just based on what's going on with the family life and work. But I last four years, specifically. yeah, four has yeah. been tough. And you know, I've got one it's probably son. a Robert Munch book <laughs> <laughs> or a party book right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, but you know, Positive Intelligence is a really good book. I like that one. Okay, Positive Intelligence. You, yeah. I haven't had that recommendation. Yeah, that was that. that's a good one. Recommended by my father-in-law, who's actually a uh, CTI coach. So if anyone interested, go go take a look at it. it just sort of change perspective on how you look at things. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. that's a good one. Uh, in the last five years, what is one new belief, behavior, or habit that has uh, that has improved your life? Just being physical. Like I, I grew up as an athlete. I played baseball at university, and you know that kind of got away from me a little bit as I got into work life. And getting back into that's made sure that I've you know kept my mind clear. You know, you're not going to have uh, every day be sunshine and roses. So you know making sure you spend some time for yourself to do something that you enjoy and you like that sort of resets is, is really important. So for me, that was uh, getting back into playing hockey, playing baseball, uh, going to the gym and just, you know, finding an outlet that takes your mind off of all the daily things, whether it's family or uh, work. It doesn't make you selfish, just makes it, you know, if you're happy and healthy, it allows you to be uh, the best you to everybody else around you. So good, good advice. What is uh, something you've been binge watching lately or a movie recommendation? We just watched Hotel Transylvania last night, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, binge watching uh, right now, I actually just finished Mayans MC, actually. I just finished that. I don't know if you guys see that, but it's the old Sons of Anarchy. Somehow stumbled upon it like, you know, a few months ago. And um, well, I I watched Sons like way back when Mayans just came out and it just... It's mindless TV for me. Sometimes I've watched that and just kind of. What is it this. about? It's about a motorcycle club in uh, Southern California. It's a one percenter thing. It's a bit of bit of violence, but uh, but at the end of the day, it's about like them having you know good hearts, but also are bad people. So it's like trying to find that Tony line. Soprano, uh, yeah, kind of yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but I haven't been mad. watching too much TV. Yeah. Other, you know, I, I you know TV's been far from. I usually am typically like you know in bed with the AirPods. Like at the end of the day, like when my kid, my kids, we've been going through this whole sleep thing, and I'll just put the AirPod in. Yeah, just mindlessly watch something. So that's sort of been what's. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I hear you there. Yeah. Favorite band or uh, music? Uh, so I'm a city guy, but uh, something in me's got some country. I don't know, but uh, I'm a big Chris Stapleton fan. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. I think actually he's been on more than once. Has he? It's yeah. either Chris Stapleton or Tupac on this show. There's oh, no, is it? Yeah, no Chris Stapleton, uh, Dirk Bentley. Uh, I've had the privilege of uh, seeing Dirk's a couple of times in a very sort of special way. So uh, that was obviously a pretty cool experience. 
It is generally and, country or rap, though. Yeah, yeah. right about and that. And then I got to give a plug the, here, actually, to um, so a guy that used to work for us, Dave Roberts, is uh, one of the three guys in the Washboard Union. So I'm also a Washboard Union fan. Washboard Union. Yeah. That's the, uh, you know what, that's the, uh, apparently, uh, we had this, a guy who, our photographer, took our headshots, took those Blasberg? guys' photos. Oh, Blasberg? Oh, no, no, no. What's his? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we, Was it Todd Duncan? Yeah, I can't remember, but yeah, the I remember the photos now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Todd Duncan. Yeah, so Dave worked for uh, for us for like twenty something years. Like he saw me grow up, and like we worked side by side for a few years, working on a few buildings. Because when I started, I obviously wasn't, you know, in the position I am now. Um, So yeah, Dave's a good friend of mine, and uh, yeah, his band's obviously been quite successful. Like they just played a huge, like I think it was Country Thunder, Alberta, like is he the lead singer? No, he's one of the guys with the big beard and plays the washboard. Ah. Man, how do you get into playing the washboard? Eh? Yeah, I don't know, but he's good at it. <laughs> <laughs> last question for you, Zach. Uh, something you have purchased for under fifteen hundred dollars in the last couple of years that has transformed your life. And you just mentioned AirPods, which I, is a, you, which is a... <laughs> still AirPods for sure. I mean, you know, as as a dad, like I do a lot of like listening to news and stuff like that, typically in the chair, uh, you know, putting kids to bed or whatnot, right? So in the dark. In, in the, the dark. Chair. It's usually like me playing dead, listening to something on, yeah. the, on the phone and the AirPods. So, you know, and like kids kicking me in the background and like, daddy, 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 I'm not tired yet. I'm like, just yeah. play five, five minutes, man, five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so the AirPods have definitely been uh, super helpful for uh, getting through those moments. But. It's like talking dead. to myself. I feel, I feel, your, I feel your pain. Yeah, Otherwise, you're just sitting there, you know, in the dark, and yeah. it's like, okay, well, like maybe I can go to bed at seven thirty tonight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right on. Well, well, Zach, uh, thanks again for your time. How can people find out about what you're doing over at Cape Group? Yeah, uh, well, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we uh, people can go check out our website at www.capegroup.ca, and uh, actually, in the next couple weeks, we're launching our new website, so that'll be cool. Awesome. Well, we'll we'll put a link in the show notes to the website, and uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time. We'd love to have you back in the future to catch up and uh, hear about what's going on. Absolutely, guys. Glad to be back anytime. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Zach Ross from Cape Group. Really enjoyed having Zach on the uh, podcast today and and really enjoyed having him at Kokomo Studios. He's just down the street, so popped over. Good to have him on. Good to have his perspective about developing in the city of Vancouver and his thoughts on the market. Really good selections for opportunities in the market, I thought. Definitely good selections for opportunities. And also, since we've talked to him, and it's it's only been an hour or so, but man, what has sat with me is just what a missed opportunity for for that building on Scotia. For the, first, for for the, the Mass Timber. timber. I know For I'm getting set, oh. I, and and I'm getting to the point where uh it's funny like the the things that kind of move the the needle in terms of climate change and and carbon capture like it's painful to watch another concrete building go up when the intention was to build mass timber. Yeah, and it would have been better for everyone. Yeah. Like literally better for everyone but a couple setbacks and and you know he outlines a couple other challenges. There's a lot I, of moving parts though, it, right? And and this it is, is this is part of the process of getting to a place that we can build more sustainable and I appreciate Zach kind of shedding light yeah, on Yeah, exactly, sustainable and quickly because that's right. the other thing about mass timber that I don't think we've really talked about as much on the show is just how much quicker kind of soup to nuts you can get 
houses built in the city and we desperately need them. So anyway, great conversation with Zach. Uh, yeah. Just a great guy. And uh, neighbors with past guest, fan favorite, Clint Murphy. That's right. Fat who, fire, uh, Clint Murphy. Yeah. So Clint was on the show. Clint does a lot of, uh, he focuses a lot of kind of financial stuff. He's obviously, he's a, he's a CFO in his, his uh, day That's job. That's right. Yeah. But he focuses on a lot of like, yeah, fat, fi- fi- financial independence, retire early. Right, right, but without uh, did I without, say fat or fire? I, I, can't I think remember. it's you fat know what? fire. He it's wants fat to rip- fire, but the idea is not on a shoestring. There's apparently skinny fire, which is shoestring, yeah. and fat fire. That was uh, one of our most popular episodes. Clint one, wants to travel, but not with the Lonely Planet guy. Was that the idea? <laughs> one one thing I'll just pull this up that I didn't realize, and actually it was Zach that mentioned it. Clint Murphy, we knew he had a podcast. I did not realize how big he is on Twitter. He has like 140,000 followers. So uh, wow. check him out there. See, I, and he's, and he's kind of, he does a whole professional development side of things as well. That guy, I don't know when he sleeps. Busy, busy guy, but uh, not surprised that those two kind of run in the same circles. No kidding. No kidding. But anyway, uh, what else do we have before we cut for the day, Adam? We have, of course, our website, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com where you can find things like the Live Wire. This is our weekly mailer with, VIP pre-sale deals. We have deal of the month. We have stats going out before anyone else and and different types of stats in this market. Super useful stuff. We also have private client services. Yeah, Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free. It's available at your fingertips over at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com slash PCS. Sign up for your own free account. This is the time to be monitoring the market, getting sold prices, it's the time to kind of check what stuff is listed for versus what it's selling for. Get better informed on the market and definitely get your own PCS account for free from us. The other thing I want to mention is um, also just quickly, we are now recording, back recording our our podcast. It's available on YouTube now, so you can check it out. You can watch the video. Um, I mean video recording that. Is that... Is that- Yes, I yeah. think so. Yeah, I think on you have VHS, that right. Yes, and then we're uploading it to YouTube. I think that's how we're doing it. I don't know. I'm not very tech savvy, but that's all going to be available on YouTube. Of course, we also have our Instagram account where you can go for more information as well. Follow us on Instagram. And of course, if you like what you're hearing on this podcast, share it with a friend. We had a comment recently on YouTube where uh, the guy said something to the effect of, uh, I can't, <laughs> I don't understand. What was it? I don't, I, I don't it. understand what you're saying. At least do video. At so least we, do video. So we've, we, this is all in direct. <laughs> yeah. And so we, we stopped everything. We went and spent $4,000 yeah. on a, on it a was setup. Like, <laughs> so thank you, John, four, two, six, nine. Uh, we are, Your we're, wish now is back. My command. we're back. We're, we're now back doing video. Uh, if you want to talk about that or any other useful suggestions, give me a call at 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We'll have a great week, guys. We're back next week with some more great We're going episodes. right through the summer. Yeah, here. right through the summer. And uh, man, do we got some good guests lined up. It's No. And, and you know what? I should... The summer's basically over, so we're getting we're we're gearing up for coming fall. up on go time. That's right. Have a good week, everyone. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.